It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. After waiting Monday and almost all of Tuesday, there was a decision in the redistricting case. A surprising decision, I think, for many of us, whether you're admitting it or not. Yes, and it was a 260-page opinion by that three-judge panel that the legislature won this round. So this was at the Superior Court level, and now the plaintiffs have appealed, and they would like this case to be heard at the North Carolina Supreme Court level. Are we to assume that the Supreme Court is going to take it directly? Is it an automatic bypass because they made this petition? The bypass petition has to be granted, certainly. Some challenges to multiple Supreme Court justices that the plaintiffs didn't want on the case and then one that the defendants didn't want on the case. So the plaintiffs have asked that Justices Phil Berger and Tamara Berenger be removed from this case. My understanding is that because Senator Phil Berger, President Pro Tem Phil Berger, is a named party in the case, that's why they would like him off the case. I'm not really sure about why they want Justice Berenger off the case. I guess it goes back to her service in the North Carolina Senate. The defendants would like to have Justice Anita Earls off the case because she just has such a long and storied career of bringing these cases forward around elections and maps and fairness. In fact, she's the founder of the organization that is taking the lead on this case as it is traversing through the courts. But let's be clear here. The Superior Court decision says that political gerrymandering is legal under our North Carolina Constitution. Correct me if I'm wrong, Sky. I see this as a short-term loss for the plaintiffs, but it also could be a long-term win for the plaintiffs. Do you agree? That's right. It's no secret that the North Carolina Supreme Court is four to three for Democrats. And if they were to vote with their party, you could see a situation where the legislature would lose. However, a caveat to that is that that Superior Court panel was two Democrats and one Republican, and it was a unanimous verdict. Taking it a step further. So we've been here before with these court cases, and the General Assembly decided, look, we're not going to appeal this to a higher court. My understanding is that they wanted no precedent set. They really wanted no ruling from the appellate courts. And so they went behind closed doors a couple years ago, drew these maps, out come the maps. Now, with this decision, the plaintiffs now get to go to this appellate court, and we could have a formal ruling about political gerrymandering and is it constitutional, something that would not have been decided had they won at the superior court level. We're just going to have to watch this over the next couple weeks to see what is going to happen. In the meantime, We should see candidates start to file for office, and it looks like we are going to have that May primary. 
And as you'll recall, we did have a joint case with Maryland that went to SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States, where they basically said, we as a court are not going to make a decision on partisan redistricting. That is fine. It has been fine for hundreds and hundreds of years. And if you do take the time to read those 260 pages from the panel of judges, you get a nice long history on North Carolina constitutional law and also the history of redistricting in North Carolina. Just if you're looking for some weekend reading. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, part of my New Year's resolution is to read 10 books this year. You think I could get credit for reading a book if I read this decision? Sure. It's it's what's in your heart that matters. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We'll see how that goes. Maybe I'll read it. So that was news on Tuesday afternoon. On Monday, there was some other news. Clay Aiken, American Idol fame, former congressional candidate, I think back in 2014 when he challenged Renee Elmers, drops the announcement that he is running in the 6th Congressional District, which is the district that would have had Congressman David Price, who announced his retirement last year. Uh, He has thrown his name in the hat to be a congressional candidate. Yes. And I asked you when this announcement came out, I was like, how long ago was it that he was on American Idol? But then his ad told me it was 20 years ago. So I'm not sure that his name recognition is as great as it was maybe in 2014 or earlier than that. But he certainly does have some name recognition. It's already a crowded primary for that race. You have Senator Valerie Fushi out of Orange County, Senator Wiley Nickel here in Wake County. You have Durham County Commissioner Nita Alam, who is running up in that area. So a couple months ago, I had a conversation with a prospective candidate in that district. And I was told that the reason this candidate did not formally jump into the race is that a poll was taken showing that Senator Fushi was getting about 34% of the vote and it was really concentrated in Orange County. Everyone else was in the low 20s, high teens. Orange County being the biggest part of this 6th district, I think she is the presumed front runner. And then I think you would have to put in maybe Senator Nickel at that, but a distant second. Whether Clay Aiken's name ID, and let's be honest here, primary voters tend to skew older. Maybe there are some 40-somethings, 50-somethings that remember Clay Aiken from his American Idol days, but certainly his celebrity has made a splash into this race. So we're recording this on Thursday morning, and a little bit ago, Civitas released their latest poll. Yeah, the poll showing really the horse race between former Governor Pat McCrory, Congressman Ted Budd, Congressman Mark Walker, all vying for this Richard Burr seat. The primary has, of course, as we talked about earlier, has been delayed until May, and it seems as if this has really benefited Congressman Ted Budd, showing him inching up and kind of closing that gap between him and Governor McCrory. 
However, it is interesting that their poll shows that still of likely voters, 48.5% of them are undecided. So there is a huge gap in your market, per se, to get those voters. And now you have a little bit of extra time to do so. And Governor McCrory's numbers are? 24%. And Ted Budd is at about almost 19%. All right. So he's coming within striking distance of the margin of error. And as you pointed out, yeah, half of the voters don't know who they're going to vote for. Who did they break for? Where is Congressman Walker in these numbers? He's got about 6.6%. And the rumor is, is that he's dropping out of this race. He's waiting to see what happens with the maps. He may run again for Congress, but just seems to find uh, no footing among the electorate. That 6%, though. I, you know, I'm not assuming that they all break for Bud. They are from the same area. You would think that Bud benefits if Mark Walker gets out of the race. Also in that race on the Democratic side, we saw this week that Governor Cooper released an official endorsement for former Justice Sherry Beasley. Got easy for him, right? When Senator Jeff Jackson dropped out, uh, Erica Smith is now running for Congress in eastern North Carolina. And it looks as if the Democrats, in a year in which they are not expected to have many layups, they are trying to unite, circle the wagons. So this week we got some news that we are going to meet a new representative in the North Carolina General Assembly. As we announced last year, Representative Susan Fisher announced that she was resigning from the General Assembly. And the Buncombe County Democratic Party got together and have announced that Caleb Rudow is going to fill her unexpired term. So he is going to serve out the remainder of her term, which expires December 31st of this year. So welcome to the General Assembly. Caleb Rudow, we look forward to working with you. And also best wishes to Representative Susan Fisher in her retirement from the General Assembly. So as the new year has begun, it's no secret that Omicron has been spiking. It is hard to get a COVID test. There are all of these healthcare concerns. And this week, we sat down with Representative Gail Adcock and talked to her about the healthcare system, what North Carolina could do better, and her time serving both at SAS and in the General Assembly. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Representative Gail Adcock, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. To start us out, could you tell us about your district? Where is it? Why do you think your district is special? So uh, my district, House District 41, is Cary, Apex, and Morrisville, and the uh, township of New Hill. And my district is special because for two reasons. Uh, one is it's one of the most diverse um, districts in the state. We have over 60 nationalities represented in my district. Wow. And in addition to that, 
if I'm not mistaken, it is the district with the highest percentage of unaffiliated voters mm -hmm. in the state. Right now, that percentage is 47%, up from 41% when I first took office in 2015. And Representative Adcock, you are my representative I in know. that district. Can you talk about what got you into politics? I know you didn't start at the state house. You were our councilwoman. That's right. I ran for the Carytown Council in 2007, and I had two terms on the Carytown Council. You know, I'm a nurse. I'm a registered mm -hmm. nurse. I'm a nurse practitioner this year, 35 years. And so I've been in, I've had a mindset my entire adult life of helping others, solving problems, and wanting to make a difference. And I began that journey as a bedside nurse in the intensive care unit and then went on to do public health and help um, to carry that forward with families and communities. Then I worked at SAS for 29 years and did that for a larger community of 14,000 patients uh, and employees. And so a step into more official community service just seemed like a natural way to go to continue to make a difference in people's lives. My wife is a nurse practitioner, as you know, and she says that you are a legend in the nursing community and profession. You were very active in the Nurses Association, if I remember. I was the president of the State Nurses Association in my early 30s. You're on the city council in Cary, and you challenge an incumbent, I believe, in 2014. That's correct. Talk about that a little bit, and what, what made you want to take the step from <laughs> municipal politics to state politics? Well, it was a difficult decision. Mm -hmm. I actually um, had never planned to go into local government, but I had the opportunity. I, I did that, and I found out that I loved it, mm -hmm. and I was good at it, mm -hmm. and I loved working with the six other council members that I worked with. So it was a very difficult decision to leave them. But I felt like our district needed a different direction in its representation. I did not have anything against the incumbent personally. I think he's a good person. But it was not given the representation that I would want, and that's why I took the, what I consider to be a big leap to run against him because he was well-liked and well-financed, and he, of course, two terms in there. But I decided to take the chance. You know, um, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Can you talk about how you maneuver mm -hmm. this district where, as you pointed out, highest affiliation is unaffiliated. Mm -hmm. Oh, it is. It's, like I said, 47% unaffiliated, 28% Democrat, and 25% Republican. Mm -hmm. So I always say there aren't enough uh, Democrats by themselves to elect me. There aren't enough Republicans by themselves to defeat me. And it really is the unaffiliated who decide. And while we know that both Republicans and Democrats split their ballot, unaffiliated folks tell you right up front they're going to split their ballot because mm -hmm. they're interested, in, in my experience, they want to know the person, mm -hmm. they want to know where you stand on the issues, they want to know how you maneuver and uh, navigate the system, and they want to know, you know what kind of person you are, and that's what they make their decisions on. And while they may not agree with every single decision you make, they want to see how did you get to that decision. Um, and what is their overall feeling about mm -hmm. your service? And I found that to be true when I was on the Carytown Council, too. Because I'm a nurse mm -hmm. and I'm accustomed to <clears throat> meeting people where they are and being a good listener, um, listening to understand, not listening to respond, uh, that has served me really well in a district that's mostly unaffiliated. Um, so I feel like I'm a good representation and reflection of the district rather than trying to conform myself to the district. I feel like I'm actually a good reflection of the district. I agree. How would you describe your political ideology? Well, I describe myself as a moderate uh, centrist 
um, and I believe that I am. I believe that good ideas come from all kinds of places. Uh, and they don't always come from people that look like me or have had experiences like me. I found this out from my patients. You know, I take care of people who, on the surface, it appears we have nothing in common. Um, but I can't walk into an exam room with a patient who has tattoos or speaks a second language or is addicted to heroin and say, oh, I can't take care of you today. And, I, and neither can I work with folks in the General Assembly and just because they're so different from me say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't work with you that my job is to find common ground with them, establish a relationship, find common ground, and recognize and advance good ideas no matter whose they are. And I just don't swing too far one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And part of that's just my personal, who I am as a person. Um, and I found that to be the, the comfortable place for me in politics is looking for that, um, where the, the meshing of one side, if you will, and the other side's ideas, there's usually really gold in there. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm on the lookout for all the time. But it can be a lonely place in politics, right? I'd like to think that both parties are going to um, are hoping to come more towards the middle. And, you know, that's part of what motivates me to, to stay where I am is to believe that more people who operate like I do and others, I'm not mm -hmm. the only one for sure, um, that we can attract more folks who want to see all sides. Sometimes I get criticized for it or misunderstood or just people who scratch their heads. Um, but I feel like, you know, my job is to represent my district and yeah. what's in the best interests of my constituents, of course, and then hopefully the whole state. Um, and I just try to do that to the best of my ability. This is a two-pronged question. Moving from you have decided to run for the North Carolina State Senate, what made you decide to do that? And also, how would your district change? Mm -hmm. uh, those are actually uh, almost the same answer to those two questions. Yeah. So when uh, the current senator for that district decided to uh, announce he's going to run for Congress, I was called about considering a run for the Senate. And I said, well, let's see what the district looks like first. The maps had not been, um, they'd barely been drawn, if at all. And I did not have any real um, interest in moving from a House district just to move. I actually have really enjoyed serving in the House. I've learned so much and made a lot of friends on both sides of the aisle and some great relationships and some things done. Uh, but when I saw the district, that it's all of Cary, save <laughs> for five precincts, and it's all of Morrisville, and it's parts of Apex I already represent. I thought, well, it's my house district on steroids. Mm. You know, why would I not want to represent more of these great people? Can you back us up a little bit and talk about your growing up? Oh, yeah. What a journey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I spent 29 years at SAS, 26 of those as the chief health officer. So yeah. it was, it was um, a position that was both policy and practice and um, everything and I never could have foreseen that I would have gotten there from where I started. So I grew up in Martinsville, Virginia. It's a nice blue-collar town, uh, a very apolitical family, um, a family with big dreams and a small purse. And so when I got out of high school and I had great grades and all this but no money to go to college, um, I got some federal grants and went to nursing school, <clears throat> a three-year diploma school, knowing that I could, once I got the RN credential, then I could earn my own money and put myself through school, which I proceeded to do two more times. Um, so I got my diploma, then I worked for a year, I went back to school, worked nights, went to, for two years, went to school during the day, worked every night, um, got my bachelor's degree, came to Raleigh, did public health for seven years here in Wake County. I was a school nurse, I was a home health nurse, I just loved that job. But after seven years, I knew that I wanted to be more in charge. You know, one of the things 
um, I know is that I like to be part of the mover and the shaker group. And so I decided to become a nurse practitioner. So I went to school at Carolina, worked three jobs while I did that to support myself and pay tuition, mm -hmm. and also got a small um, grant from the federal government and um, graduated, worked for myself for four and a half years as a nurse practitioner, and then um, went to SAS as a staff nurse practitioner, and after about two and a half years, was promoted to what was then the manager of corporate health services, and subsequent became the director of corporate health services, and then subsequent to that was named the chief health officer. When did the light bulb go off that, okay, politics matters in healthcare? Not until I was 26. Okay. <laughs> okay. Specific. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 1980, I uh, joined the North Carolina Nurses Association, okay. which was a has turned out to be a pivotal decision in my life. It helped to shape who I am both as a professional, but also as a person. Because when I joined NCNA, they were in the middle of working with the Board of Nursing to lobby for a new Nursing Practice Act. And um, I said, yes, I'll, you know, I'm big into saying I'll try something new. Never done any lobbying. I'd never been to the, any state capital and um, decided to get involved in that initiative and I was hooked. Yeah. And so I have had lots of different positions in the Nurses Association, including president and then chair of the Legislative Committee and the Policy Committee and a bunch of others. And the more you do this work, the more you realize the true impact that it has and that people who are well-meaning but who don't have experience in healthcare or nursing are making decisions that impact not just your practice but the patients for whom you care so much about. What made you decide North Carolina is where I want to be? So I tell people what brought me to North Carolina was the wrong man. Oh, no. <laughs> but uh, I decided to stay because of the right one. Oh, that's mm. sweet. So, uh, yeah, so, you know, even that bad decision got me to Greenville, which was a really great experience going to school at ECU. And, um, and then moving to Raleigh was another pivotal decision because everything was happening in Raleigh. Yeah. And once I came here and did public health, and it just never occurred to me to move again, um, and once I got the job at SAS and realized what a great opportunity it was to make policy that impacted um, the, com the company's trajectory, the company's healthcare expenditures, the health of its employees and family members, and, and um, really the retention of employees um, and what our healthcare spend would be, it just never occurred to me to leave. You're one of a few that understand healthcare policy. When I hear you speak, when I hear uh, Representative Carla Cunningham speak, uh, you just get the sense that you guys know what it's like to be in a room with a patient mm -hmm. and to talk about health. Can you talk a little bit about what it's like to be that ambassador inside with 170 other members? It, it's exciting. It's actually, it's a wonderful opportunity, and sometimes that means it's scary, too. Mm -hmm. I remember my one of my very first health committee meetings, and Burt Jones was chairing and I forget what we were talking about, but it was 2015. At that time, there were no physicians in the legislature, and I'm the only advanced practice registered nurse that's ever been elected to our legislature, and I'm the only primary care provider still hmm. in the legislature. And, and uh, Representative Jones said, let's ask the expert in the room. I looked around. He was talking about me. <laughs> and I went, oh, my God, it's time to put up or shut up. And you know what? 
it was just a wonderful, uh, exhilarating opportunity. So I am always impressed with members on both sides of the aisle who mm -hmm. come to me for uh, to have questions answered, something explained, or just to find out my opinion mm -hmm. about something. I never forget, um, you know, what an honor that is. It's like the patients I've taken care of for years in family practice. You know, when somebody trusts you that much, mm -hmm. that they'll let you treat their hypertension and diabetes and heart disease, and they believe that you know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, what an incredible honor that is. And I feel the same way about my fellow members. Um, I go to them with banking questions and agriculture questions and economic development questions, and they come to me about healthcare questions. But it's also put you in the middle of really some of the most high-profile debates we're having, right? Medicaid expansion being one, uh, the SAVE Act, which I know you've been working on as well. Diligently. Yeah, mm -hmm. diligently for years now, fourth, right? Fourth time up at bat, this is going to do it. I mean, all eyes on you, right? That's true. But as a, a nurse practitioner, all eyes are always on you anyway. Yeah. You know, when you're taking care of a child, that parent is watching everything you do. Uh, one of my first um, Indian patients who was coming for a premarital exam, her fiancé was standing at the head of the bed watching me really? do her first gynecological exam. <laughs> I'm just telling you, I'm used to being watched. All of us are because what we do is so integral to people's lives. We're accustomed to being watched, so it's nothing new for me. Kind of going off of that, you said at SAS there are 14,000 employees? No, 14, thank you for asking that okay. clarifying question. 14,000 employees and family members. Wow. Okay. So about it was about 5,500 employees and 9,000 dependents. So about 14,000 people that we at our healthcare center at SAS provided free primary care for from birth to people in their 80s. Wow. Can you kind of talk about the difference in doing that corporate level work where you were doing policy and practice and then policy at the state level? What's that like? Um, there are a lot of parallels, actually. I always said um, my ability to hold my own downtown, I learned that in corporate America mm -hmm. because, you know, I had to... Uh, I had 68 employees, and it was my job when I would sit with the benefits committee and have the chief financial officer, the chief human resources officer, um, all of these C-level people like I was, and I would need to present a business case for why we should deliver health care a certain way versus another, uh, why I believed the health plan should pay for X and not Y, why I didn't believe we should have a formulary. I needed to back that stuff up. I learned how to do it. So when I came downtown, I'm faced with many of the same situations, right? Making a business case, making a compelling argument. So it really was great preparation mm -hmm. um, for this. Um, the other parallel is I always see everything through a clinical lens. So when I sit down with a member or constituent, I always think about my clinical roots, you know, which is get to know the person first, establish a trusting relationship before you hit them with facts or ask big questions because until you have that um, baseline and that foundation you really can't get too far and I just use that same approach in the General Assembly so far it seems to have served me well. What would you say you're most proud of as far as what you have accomplished at the General Assembly? So um, in the near term in the mm -hmm. most recent times I think where I have um, been the most effective is the same place I'm effective as a nurse practitioner and that is often working behind the scenes to 
bring the people together to solve a problem. And often, you know, being in the minority, your name is not on a bill, or, and, and sometimes it is. You know, you've probably noticed that I don't sign on to bills that aren't bipartisan. That's it's right. the rare bill that I ever even co-sponsor if, it's, yeah. if it doesn't have bipartisan primaries because it, philosophically, I, I mean, I know those bills aren't going to go anywhere anyway, just in reality, but also it's a philosophy I have. So often I will work on a bill with, another, with a, um, a member of the majority, and even though I don't get to speak on it you know, on the floor, and sometimes I do speak on a committee because they want me to. Yeah. Um, I work behind the scenes with them to help make that bill better. So I often say my name's not on it, but my fingerprints are all mm-hmm. over it. So I think that's one of my strengths. Um, and I really have worked hard on legislation to increase access to care. Um, and that's not just Medicaid expansion. That's not code for Medicaid expansion. That is regulatory reform to help health licensed healthcare providers provide care to the top of their license. And that's not just for nurse practitioners and other advanced practice nurses. That is for um, physical therapists and psychologists and for my good friends, the pharmacists. Mm-hmm. And we've actually been able to move quite a bit of legislation for them in the last session. Um, because I really believe our public is best served when everybody gets to do everything they're educated, certified, and trained to do. And it's also a great return on investment for the state. I mean, you know, we're using a lot of state funds to fund our university system, and they educate our pharmacists, our physical therapists, our nurse practitioners, our midwives, our CRNAs often. And yet when we set up these artificial barriers in scope of practice, what we're doing is not getting return on investment. Why would we want to do that? It's like if we paved a six-lane highway and spent what, billions of dollars to pave a six-lane highway? And then we said to the citizens, you can drive on three lanes. Wouldn't they say to us, you're crazy? What are you doing with my tax money? Well, we should be doing exactly the same thing. We do not allow, just because of some capricious decision made 50 years ago often, allow these same people to do everything they can do for our citizens who are in desperate need of health care, especially in our rural areas. Um, So I've I've helped uh, great Folks, Representative Josh Dobson, who mm-hmm. has become a great friend, uh, Representative Donnie Lambeth, Representative Wayne Sasser. I've helped them with legislation that they're the lead sponsor on, and I've either helped behind the scenes or sometimes along with them um, to help advance the things we both, we all believe in. Mm-hmm. You know, and it doesn't matter that they're on one side of the aisle and I'm on the other. We all want the same thing, which is we want people to get the care they need to have good lives and not have those lives cut short by preventable illnesses. Yeah. I know that you said you've been listening to the podcast. So you probably know that this question is coming. So if you had a magic wand and you can fix one thing in our politics, what would it be? So I have listened to your podcast. I've been listening to it all along, but I have to say I've had a little, um, I've been binging it a little bit <laughs> the last week. And there's a um, theme to the answer to this question for most of your folks, which is, and it all boils down, I think, to how do we build trust, Mm -hmm. right, in each other so that we feel like we're getting the real deal when we talk to a person and that there's nothing else behind their hidden agenda or whatever. And I think one of the things we could do that would build trust as much as anything, in addition to all the things your other guests have said, is to be more thoughtful in our process of debate and um, moving bills forward. I can tell you one of the things I learned in local government 
is that it pays to be thoughtful. It pays to take your time, not drag your feet, mm -hmm. but take your time. And one of the things that's been the hardest for me to adjust to in the house is the speed with which we feel compelled to move even the most complicated issue. Mm -hmm. There doesn't seem to be much appetite to step back and go, wow, we need some more information or gosh, we're off the rails with this discussion. Let's, let's not vote on this today. Let's wait and get some more information and come back to this. Uh, my experience has been often that you'll walk into a committee meeting with a very complicated issue, and the chairman will say, or chairwoman, will say, we have 50 minutes. We're going to take up two bills. We're going to vote. We're going to have three speakers only, and then we're going to take a vote, and we're going to be out of here. And those speakers get to speak for 60 seconds. If they're lucky, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it seems that we're cramming this, this really important process into a prescribed time instead of saying, what is this actually going to take? And then the same thing happens on the floor. So I believe that if we were a bit more thoughtful and didn't have the process so compressed on some really big things and you didn't get a PCS 10 minutes before you're going to vote on it maybe it's 60 pages and you didn't get a concurrence report uh, you didn't get a conference report on which you need to vote up or down from the Senate um, and immediately have to vote on it and you actually had time to digest it here's some thoughtful conversation about what really changed mm -hmm. right and what this is really going to do you would build trust and you'd have people more interested and more willing to take those votes without later saying, this was too rushed, what's, you know, and having distrust of what's hidden in this bill. It's not like we're pressed for time since we're still in the long session. I mean, we definitely have the time, it's how we spend it. So that would be my magic wand, and it's a process issue. There are periods where we have downtime, we're waiting for a budget, or we don't have votes for whatever reason. It, I feel like sometimes we could fill in that day a little bit. Like, let's let's get some issues out on the table, at least talk about them, see where we are. And I know this has happened for years. It's not about the current leadership. It's yeah. been going on for decades. I was a voyeur downtown long before I was elected. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I know I'm not fresh off the farm, but there has to be a desire to do that. Well, Representative Gail Adcock, we appreciate everything you do for your district, everything you do in North Carolina politics. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. It was my pleasure. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. Sky, you have worked on legislation with Representative Adcock. This year, I got to work with her fairly closely on a bill that I was also working with some law students on, and they had done a good amount of research, and she read all of their work before talking to me about it. She really put in the time, which I think is something that you don't see a lot. I had sent her some materials that, you know, 25 pages, and she'd read it all 
by the time we got on the phone, had questions about it, just very well prepared. And I think that speaks a lot to her as a legislator and as a person. This was a complicated bill. It was a sexual assault bill dealing with in the medical community. And there were a lot of stakeholders. What was that like trying to come to a solution? Yeah, she definitely wanted to do the work on the front end. And I found that to be very respectable. And she also talked to the other health chairs about it. So she had done a lot of work before the bill was even filed. And I think she kind of alluded to that in the interview saying that we should take the time to get things right. Tweet of the week. Tweet of the week. The tweet of the week this week I saw on Monday was from James Burton. He's at James CU 1992. And this was after the Clay Aiken announcement. It says... Clay Aiken running for Congress again is like COVID. They both keep reappearing for no good reason. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I noticed with the Clay Aiken announcement, there was a lot of detraction, not only on the Republican side, but I heard a lot of Democrats also like, oh, gosh, he's back. Yeah, I saw there was an NNO article, I think, that said he is another celebrity candidate who's not doing the work so kind of airing the democratic side dirty laundry for everyone to see yeah and i think clay aiken went on the view and he didn't say it like this but this is how i interpret it he said yeah i'm getting criticism that i haven't done the work and then he pointed to congress which does no work and so uh sounds like clay aiken would fit in well up in the u.s congress <laughs> i saw that megan mccain wished him well <laughs> Well, you know, anybody who puts their name on the dotted line says they're willing to subject themselves and their families to running for office. I applaud. So good luck. I applaud that man named Brian Lewis, who's a libertarian. Isn't he a libertarian? Yes. Who files her election every year and then people roll in like, good for you, Brian Lewis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Representative Mitchell Setzer sent me a nice text a couple years ago. I get asked a lot if I am the libertarian. And then just to further confuse things, sometimes Brian Lewis, libertarian, retweets my tweets or likes my post on Facebook and people get really confused. Not to be confused with when you actually just retweet your own tweets, which is something you do. (laughs) I do. Hey, I think Brent Woodcox... No one loves Brian Lewis like Brian Lewis loves Brian Lewis. Yeah, well, I think Brent Woodcox was saying that about Senator Danny Britt, that no one believes in Danny Britt the way Danny Britt believes in Danny Britt, and that's why I love Danny Britt. I'm just trying to be like Danny Britt. I got to believe in myself. Oh, wow. It took you this long to work him in today, (laughs) but we made it, folks. Started from the bottom, now we're here. (laughs) Once again, episode 45... (laughs) A mention of Senator Danny Brett. Looking at you, Senator Devier. Got it in. (laughs) When Brian and I have lunch or dinner, I make him share our highlight of the week or the day. So what was your highlight of the week this week? We enjoyed the drama of the decision coming down Tuesday. We were hitting refresh on our computer a lot, right? Definitely. And seeing what folks said once it came out, you know, you saw from both sides, one side celebrating and the other side saying, oh, this whole thing says that it's terrible. And then they sided with the defendants. So you saw that kind of play out. I mean, 
Twitter drama is always going to be my highlight. You had had some conversations with folks that were kind of invested in the defendant's position. And they had said to you last week, they thought they were good to go. They thought, you know, getting through all the Representative Destin Hall testimony, they felt confident in his testimony. They felt confident in the case they made in defense of the maps. And you and I were both kind of scratching our heads going, what, that was really a bad PR week. And even up until Tuesday, I remember we had lunch and I said, I don't know, that just, I just don't see it going for the defense. But surprising right it was surprising especially if you just read like the media stories on it like the secret maps of it all that made you think oh no this looks really bad for them but that really wasn't what the case was about Mm -hmm. so that was just a fact that was unveiled during the testimony the constitutional law experts non-lawyer experts were out in droves this week i mean it's just like anything else you're We have COVID experts, we have law experts, you have an expert on anything you're looking for on Twitter, and you can find the opinion you're looking for as long as you get on (laughs) Twitter.com. All right, how's the Illini doing? We are now in conference play. This is your favorite time of year, right? Yeah, I love college basketball. But especially conference play. Big Ten yes, basketball Big Ten is your basketball. thing. All right. How, how are they doing this year? Um, we are undefeated in the conference. So we're at, sitting at the top of the conference. But there are going to be some rougher games coming up. Purdue, they're ranked pretty pretty high. Um, but the Big Ten is looking good this year. How is UNCG doing? We're probably doing okay. I have no idea. I only really start paying attention to college basketball once we get into March. And if they're contending, then I'll act like I was pulling for them all year. (laughs) I did this thing with uh, my wrapping paper roll where I was using it just to beat the table during the game, my coffee table, and then it started to unravel. So I split it in half and then I was using it as noise sticks, just beating it above my head. So like that's the type of college basketball watcher I am. Annoying. Being a college basketball fan from Illinois and now living in a state where college basketball is huge, but we don't pull for Illinois. I mean, it's all right. about NC State, Duke, uh, UNC. Yeah. What's that like for you? Well, when I first moved out here, I still had Illinois plates on my little yellow bug that I moved out here in. And Everyone, it felt like, would stop and tell me, oh, do you remember that UNC beat Illinois? I'm like, yeah, I was in junior high. Get over it. Y'all have won a national championship since then. Like, don't you have other things to celebrate? And when I was at Illinois, we were always, like, pretty mediocre. Um, There were some highs, but we were always mediocre. The thing was that I tutored some athletes, And also our student section for basketball was a charity where you had to raise money for charity and that's how you got a seat. And once you got a seat, you were defined into two different lines and you got there about four hours before a game and you would line up. And as you know, it's cold in Illinois. You would sit outside in the cold, cold weather 
for hours waiting to get in. And then like you run down to your seat and shed all of these layers that you had on. And then we also volunteered with the team. So you do Habitat for Humanity or whatever. So Mm -hmm. you became really invested in the players. And I thought that's what all schools did until getting out here and realizing I had to enter a lottery just to attend a UNC game. Right. So you went to UNC Law. So you you, you went to a game or two at UNC and just didn't feel the vibe you had in Illinois. It was just it was just different. Even my third year of law school, when I got priority for UNC Duke tickets, graduating folks get priority. I was still up in the rafters. I'm like, what is this? I thought I was going to be on the floor. I was so used to having great, great seats at Illinois that I was like, this is this is crazy. You can't even get close enough to see. So Illinois played this past week. Games coming up. Played Nebraska on Tuesday. Played Maryland last week. I think we play on Friday, but I, now I can't even remember who we play. Oh, yeah. We play Michigan tomorrow. Yeah. You're headed to the beach this afternoon, right? It's one of those things. We we have a client that meets uh, every third Saturday in Raleigh, so I got to drive back from the beach Saturday morning. I'll come for the meeting and then drive back Saturday afternoon. But then we're staying through Monday. We usually leave Sunday morning. We were kind of ambivalent about leaving because it looked for a while. Like snow. Yeah. And then the forecast changed and it sounds like it's just going to be yucky. So we're not going to miss it. We are going to get some rain on Sunday, but Monday it's supposed to be good. And I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully we get some surfing in and I'm going to enjoy the break and Sounds like uh, we got a lot waiting for us next week with the court decisions and whether the General Assembly's coming back or not. Until then, you can binge the rest of our episodes if you want to get caught up, learn about a couple of folks coming into the short session. And be sure to share us with your friends if you like us. If you don't like us, keep it to yourself. And remember that whatever you're doing, please do politics better. Take me to the home. My favorite play is the alley. Ooh, I like the pick and roll. I like the giving.